Phoenix Overlook Pop Culture. And welcome to episode 95. Um, this isn't your daddy's 95. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> s- s- sorry, I was I was watching YouTube videos of Windows 95 splash screen loading up in an emulator on a Pi 2. Don't ask, don't ask me why. I'm kind of sad like that. Um, anyway, um, I will have the feed updated before the end of this week. It's, I think part of it was my frustration from our technical difficulties last time, which is why we're going to start out by kind of wrapping up what we were talking about last time. Um, but first, uh, Shaggy won a contest, so he's going to be gone in November for a for a few days. The 12th and 13th of November, Thursday and Friday, um, I participated in the System 76 Superfan Contest, and I won an entry. There was 10 entries, and I don't, I don't remember the other people that won, but there was um, a couple of people that did some things programmatically. Uh, one person was working on writing an AI for the my, uh Mycroft AI, I think it is, it came out on Kickstarter or something. Um, another person wrote a really simple app that just displayed the System76 logo. Um, I, I created a meme. <laughs> I can share it with everybody later on. It's, it's uh, the greatest man in the world, and I just put some text on there that I thought was amusing um, related to System76. Uh, Anyway, the, it's a round-trip flight to Denver, Colorado, where their headquarters is. I get the opportunity to play video games and stuff, and I get to play with all their new systems. And mostly it's because System76 is coming out with their new Skylake-based products. So if you go to their website right now, you'll be able to see the two systems that they've updated already are the Wild Dog Pro, which is kind of like their... Um, a smaller desktop system with a lot of power crammed into it, kind of halfway between mini ITX and ATX. So it's really interesting. And then they've also got their Serval workstation uh, laptop that has now with the Skylake processor, it has a full-blown desktop-grade CPU in it, which has the Core i7-6700 or a choice of the 6700K, which is overclockable. And one thing I'm really interested to see is whether or not they're going to allow the overclocking from within the BIOS or something like that, which I may or may not tweak with because I've never messed with the voltages, and I don't want to break their stuff. So I'll find out right there. It sounds – and a full desktop processor, meaning the battery's not going to last very long. (laughs) Considering that it's an 18.4-inch laptop with – high-grade GPUs, like you have the choice of either a GTX 970N or GTX 980N, and those are the, just the, the regular grade, or you can get a, a Quadra, I think it's 1100K or 2200K, which the Quadros tend to have more video memory because you're usually working with more uh, 3D-based rendering stuff for uh, content creation and stuff like that or video game development, which, as compared to a normal uh, consumer-grade GPU, it's more based for... It can still do the content creation, video uh, video editing, and stuff like that, but it's more geared towards 
gaming. So, uh, from my, from my understanding, understanding, you're going to uh, be able to provide feedback to um, Roundtable and everything else. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, I'm, I'm don't know exactly what else is going to be involved. I know I get the opportunity to play with all the products and stuff like that. They're letting up, they're giving us a stay at a uh, five-star hotel. It's uh, what is it? The Brown Palace Hotel there in Denver, which is like right in downtown, so it's within walking distance of everything. And <laughs> the thing I found the most amusing was there's a uh, dispensary just right down the street. <laughs> so I can just walk down the street and leave we by weed. <laughs> So, so, so you may be a mile high in more more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the recommendations I looked up some travel information already, just so I can plan ahead of time because I'm weird like that. And they recommend that you drink plenty of water like the day before, and make sure when you get there, drink plenty of water because it's a higher altitude, and people that aren't from a higher altitude are not going to be used to it. So, you, your body's going to it's going to be the climate's going to be different, and you're going to lose water easily. You're probably going to sweat more and stuff like that. So they recommend drinking more water and stuff like that. So I'm just really excited to go some more farther outside of Missouri than I've ever been. Well, well Curtis Curtis has us beat by that. Um, <laughs> by, yes. But a couple more states past Colorado. Actually, no, it's about a state past Colorado. I've been to England. Oh, Quite. nice. Well played, well played. Uh, but um, last time we mentioned uh, how you know, there was this discovery, possible discovery of liquid water on Mars, um, the treaty that prevents any of us from just exploring further because, well, we don't want to contaminate, we want to keep the environment as untouched as possible. And so now we're going to, that's going to segue into other things. We're going more into robot-based exploration as opposed to human exploration because it's, well, actually cheaper to do it that way. And if I remember correctly, we speculated on whether there would be human a human expedition to Mars or not, which I think kind of brought up the whole robot exploration too. Um, do we have any any additional thoughts on all of that, or I I don't necessarily have any more thoughts. Um, maybe just reiterate how I found it. it was interesting that there was a treaty that I wasn't aware of, and it's part of the reason why I brought up the idea for the podcast. So I. I Yeah, I would, I would just add that, I mean, robotic exploration really is hot right now, and so I think that um, next 20 years or so are going to be just as exciting as the last 15 have been in that term. I don't. I think we're at the golden age right now. Um, especially with, um, with uh, the cost of building robots kind of dropping quite a bit, too. Like... Give me an example. I I have a Raspberry Pi, which people are using to basically make robots with. Forty-five dollar piece of equipment, being able to 
control uh, something more complex, um, that's going to get very, very interesting in the future. Yeah, it's the Raspberry Pi Foundation is making it very easy for people to do that with using like an Arduino board. And then since the Raspberry Pi Foundation supports the Python programming language as the official language, they also enable you to access the GPIO uh, pins, so that way you like when you hook up your Arduino board or make a robot out of it, it's it's enabling a quicker and easier way to do that for younger and younger generations. So kids at the age of 10, 9 would be able to theoretically make a robot with this with maybe a little bit of guidance. It's really cool. And plus, these things can be clustered together mm-hmm. for additional um, power, so that's, that's going to be very um, intriguing, and hopefully by then we'll find out if, because if there's liquid w- water on Mars, well, the obvious question is, well, you know, is it life-bearing or is it just full of stuff that's just like you probably wouldn't even want to touch it anyway? But, um, but uh, anyway, um, I think part of part of the imagination that uh, science can kind of strike up with us is, uh, you know, possibilities and possibilities of possibilities, and I think that's why those who love science also love exploring fantasy too. Um. And why we play the games we do. I've I've <clears throat> I've played board games myself. I've you know besides video games, and I've played a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons, which is the closest thing that you know we have to what we're about to talk about. Uh, Curtis brought this one up because um, tabletop gaming involves more than just a pencil and a paper and a dice. Um, involves, involves a multitude of areas, um, and for those watching, yeah, yeah, hold those up again so we can see them. So yeah, I have uh, rule books. I have templates. <laughs> nice. You've got models. You've got different die, and I don't. That's not even everything. So yeah, it, it can get. Uh, quite uh, cluttered. Um, there's figurines involved as well. Well, we, we like to refer to them as miniatures. Miniatures. So a good example of one such. Generally plastic, resin, or uh, the old ones used to be metal, a lot of pewter. Um, I think a few companies still do pewter. I'd imagine plastic being cheaper. It's a lot cheaper. It's also easier to model. It's easier to work with. Uh, it's lighter. It's harder to, to damage on the table. Right. So <clears throat> it's one of those cases where plastic is actually better than the metal. Oh, yeah. Which is you know not usually the case with things that are made of plastic. So one of the most popular tabletop gaming is... Uh, Warhammer. That that I've heard of it. Um, I've seen this at conventions where 
where people in a gaming type setting <clears throat> room they they have it all set up with with everything laid out and and I'm like oh my this looks very involved <laughs> um, for beginners um, what is what is the history of this what's involved in all of this well um so wargaming actually started in the 1700s as a way to train military soldiers. They had um, pewter or lead um, crude representations of soldiers that you would have on the battlefield. And so officers, you know, lieutenants and captains and so forth that would go to military school in Europe and so on would, um, you know, would be trained basically how to command troops on the battlefield. And... Um, you know, there's actually a really cool uh, University of Virginia, I believe, has a, a website that's like a history of wargaming in general that you could spend hours talking about. So what I'll say for this is that um, what we think of today as modern wargaming has its, its start in the 1970s, and that really got a kick from something that happened in the, in the early 1900s, which was um, everybody knows H.G. Uh, Wells wrote a book, called Little Wars, which was his first attempt to create a video, or a video game, <laughs> too early for that, to create a game based around uh, pieces that you would use on a battlefield. And um, so he wrote this book that had this set of, of rules. I've never seen a copy of the book, but I've always been interested to see it. What we think of today as the hobby of, of uh, tabletop gaming or wargaming really got its start in, in 1973, 1974 with Battletech, uh, which a lot of people remember MechWarrior and Battletech, you know, this games of the far future with robots and, and uh, mechs, mech suits and kind of like Gundam. That's really where it got its start. And, of course, it, it had this dual popularity in the United States and Japan, South Korea, and, and the U.K., um, and then the 1980s is where things really started to change. And you had uh, a company made up of a couple of people that loved to play Battletech in the United Kingdom that came to into being called Games Workshop. And they produce Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40,000, the latter of which is probably the very best well-known uh, tabletop game in history <laughs> for... Uh, there might be some debate to that, um, but uh, I don't think it's much. <laughs> so. And I'm look. Um, Wiz, there's all there's been all sorts of properties. Um, Mage Knight, which is now defunct. Uh, Warhammer Fantasy, Warhammer 40k Games Workshop. Started in the 80s, War Machine, Hordes, uh, Privateer Press, Flames of War. Uh, these uh, some of these are early 2000s. So yeah. Um, uh, okay. Go ahead. So what is the premise of Warhammer? Oh my God, that is a loaded question. So. <laughs> <laughs> To give you just a little bit of, of hint as to why Warhammer 40,000 specifically, even more than fantasy, is really the, one of the most well-known, is because it has this massive 
massive collection of made-up sci-fi history and lore. Um, I think at last count there's something like 200-plus books in the Black Library. Some of the books can go upwards of 1,000 pages of science fiction, you know, like you would read any science fiction novel. The only difference is that they're always tied to this one story, this epic story. And what I can do is I can just read you the little blurb um, for what it's about. Just give me a second. I'll look that up because I lost the page. Uh, but um, in, the, in the meantime, while I'm saying that, yeah, Warhammer 40,000 started in, in 1987, and it was a spinoff from Warhammer Fantasy, which was – both games are actually heavily influenced on J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings series. Um, there's, a, there's a race, uh, a playable faction in both games called the Eldar, which are the elves, and they're very, very much Tolkien-like elves. Um, and so, especially, more so in the fantasy version, as the, 40, as the, the sci-fi version has really sprung off and done its own thing. But um, it's, uh, it's pretty neat, because I'm also a huge fan of Tolkien. So, so kind of to give you a... This is what Warhammer 40,000 is, and so this is the description. It's a game that's set in the 41st millennium. For more than a hundred centuries, the emperor of mankind has sat immobile on the golden throne of Earth. He's the master of man by the will of the gods and the master of a million worlds by the might of his inexhaustible armies. He's a rotting carcass, withering invisibly with power from the dark age of technology. He's a carrion lord of the vast imperium of man for whom a thousand souls are sacrificed every day so that he may never truly die. Um... And so what the kind of the tagline is, is that, to, you know, to be a man in such times is basically to be nobody. It's to be one amongst untold billions of humans spread across the galaxy. And it's basically to live in the cruelest and most bloody regime imaginable. Um, you're supposed to forget the power of technology and science for so much of it's been forgotten. Uh, forget the promise of progress and understanding for in the grimdark future there's only war. There is no peace amongst the stars, only an eternity of carnage and slaughter and the laughter of thirsting gods. And so when you think about sci-fi, you know, a lot of people will think about Star Wars or Star Trek, which kind of have, I mean, even Star Wars has this positive spin on things. You know, there's technology, there's space travel. Warhammer 40K is like the most dystopian, brutal, um, horrible place you would ever want to, to live in imaginable. So, so it's kind of like Fallout in that sense. Basically, yes. A series of Fallout games, you really don't want to be in that setting. Right. Even if you put some humor and stuff into it. It's just dark, grim, and dismal. Right. I mean, there there's literally like a hundred pages of just background that will go through the timeline from 10,000 BC to the 41st millennium. So about 50,000 years of history from man coming from the caves to going to being a spacefaring civilization and then to the fall of mankind. And so in the general sense, what happened was there was, there was a man named the Emperor, and he was there, – there are these entities in the game called Chaos, the gods of chaos. And they're actually aliens from a parallel dimension. And each one represents some different aspect of chaos, like death and disease or lies, secrets, you know, uh, 
bloodlust and war, kind of like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so at some point in Earth's history, there were humans that were born with psionic abilities and they became aware of these, these threats. And these humans were called shamans by the primitive society. So all the medicine men and the medicine women and people like Joan of Arc and things like that, they were actually these powerful humans that had psionic abilities that were very wise. And they saw this threat. So what they did is they had the, one of the powers these, these individuals had was the ability to um, uh, reincarnate themselves at will, basically. And so they, thousands of them came together they ritually committed suicide and then reincarnated themselves into one body. So it became a human with like a thousand souls. And he became known as the emperor, and he was basically made to protect humanity from, from these forces of chaos. And in the far future, um, a lot of stuff happens, but basically he gets wounded, mortally wounded, and he gets put on this golden throne. It's a piece of technology from a time when mankind was basically were basically gods, and, and there was no disease that could blight them, and they could do just about anything to keep him alive. And at that point, things started to go downhill, and he started to be worshipped as a god, and this, you know, the, things like an inquisition sprang up, and everything was done just to hold humanity together to keep it from falling with all these outside threats. And so anyway, the reason I mention all of this is because when you talk to people who play specifically Warhammer 40,000, they will tell you that half of the reason they're in the hobby is because of the lore, of the fluff, of the stories. So, so the background of it just they they play it because the story fascinated them, and they kind of yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at it, too, like an interesting statistic is that actually only about 20% of people who buy Warhammer models actually play the game. Um, 80% of people are simply hobbyists who want to assemble the models and paint the models, create dioramas, that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, you think about, you, you, can, you can do some finagling with the statistics. And so people will say, well, it was about 50% fluff that got me into it, and then it was about 40%... Um, you know, the, how cool the models look, because they, they're really impressive. Citadel has been doing great work for the last 25, 30 years. And then it's 10%, oh, I get to play a game with my friends on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, whatever your game night is, you know, and just have some fun. Um, and what what all is involved in the gameplay? Like said, I, you know, closest thing I've done involved a pencil, paper, well, maybe maybe some maybe a dice or two, but there's more to it than that. From the well, sounds of it, it's not too terribly difficult. It seems daunting at first because there are, you know, something like ten factions that you can play, and everyone looks awesome. And it is really hard when you're first trying to get into the game to figure out what models you're going to play. You know, to preface before I answer the question, it is an expensive hobby, but when you think about it. What hobby isn't expensive? I mean, people who are into photography will spend, you know, upwards of $10,000 on lenses and a camera and USB sticks and computers and so on. People who are into model airplanes will spend thousands of dollars to get the right controllers and the most sensitivity and so on. You know, and the same thing, people who are into just about any hobby. Uh, even oh, games, yeah. yes, you know, <laughs> my gaming computer. 
So I got a camera so you can see the window to my <laughs> the window to my soul. That's right. That's my awesome. Awesome graphics card right there. I wish I had some LEDs because then it just looks so much better. <laughs> so awesome. The graphics card itself was like three hundred bucks when I bought it. And it wasn't new. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. But yeah, no, I mean, um, but you know, when you when you think about what you what you have to do to play, you need terrain. So. If you Google um, miniature wargaming terrain, you'll see uh, cheap stuff made out of cardboard, which is fine, or you'll see stuff that's professionally modeled, or you'll see things in between. People have done actually incredible work with paper mache type stuff and painting. So it just depends on the artistic capability. You need your models, you need the rule books, and you need dice and these little green templates. These are important for 40k. I'm not actually sure if any other war games use these, um, but I would assume that at least, at least a couple of others do. And what these templates are is uh, this one here, for example, is called a blast template. So when you're firing uh, some kind of a weapon, you have like a tank that has some kind of explosive area of effect. When you go to make that attack, you lay this over the top of the miniatures you're trying to hit, and it will tell you anything that, that touches under this has a chance of being hit by your attack. And so that's kind of the way that you bring a little bit of trigonometry into it to, you know, look at the board and figure out where I'm going to lay what. Um, and then, of course, you know, painting and is actually considered a must, at least in the, in the Warhammer camp. Um, they really do not like to see unpainted models. I mean, they'll tolerate it, but um, the painting is half the expression, you know, and, and it's marketed as a game that you can take and make your own, um, which is really, you know, unique. I have a good friend of mine that's really big into the game, and I remember talking with him a lot about how he, he has a decent collection of models, and that's practically all he does. I'm not sure if he actually even plays the game, like you were mentioning. Like, not even half of them actually play the game. It's it's true, because I know he has some attention to detail. And he's, he's not necessarily a big artist, but when it comes to, like, these models and stuff like that, he really enjoys painting them. And it can get very, very intricate. And, like, I've seen some crazy stuff online from some of the people. Things that they get into really tiny details, like, the brushes that would require be required to paint on that are like crazy. Right. My dad was a big as a big artist, and my mom too. They both have painted and done all done all kinds of things. So I've got a little bit of that in me. So I understand the time and the effort that would actually have to go into that. So not only am I impressed, but it's I find it fascinating. I just I don't know if I can get into another hobby other than video gaming. Everything else I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like all things, um, it's actually getting with people and, and finding a group that plays. A lot of people have this misconception that to play the game you have to spend lots of money. Like I did say, you can spend lots of money. But if you find a group, most of the time people in a group have three, four, five different factions worth of armies. And if you want to play, they'll just let you play with their stuff. And I've, I actually know people who have spent no money on the game outside of maybe buying the rule book just for strategizing at home and just wander around their playgroup borrowing everyone else's models and playing with them, which is what the models are meant to be. They're meant to be 
play to play the game. And so, you know, a lot of times, especially if they put a lot of work into painting or modeling, then uh, they're going to love it to see their stuff being used, you know, which is, which is really cool because you don't see that in a lot of other hobbies. You know, a lot of times it's bring your own stuff and leave mine alone. Yeah. Yeah, so, so um, basically this would be a perfect, perfect uh, thing for, say, if you want to form some campus organization, this would probably be a good, good thing to form if you're into that sort of stuff. And because that, that, that would be, that reminds me of the anime club where in the beginning, you know, get getting a good collection of that stuff was expensive and joining a group would be the best way of finding out more about your shared interest without spending a whole lot of money. That's right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of the hobby because, and you know, before I say this, I'm, I'm not a video game heretic. I love my video games too. <laughs> but I'm a big fan of the hobby because it puts people in a room right across a table from each other and forces them to interact, which in the age of these doesn't happen that much anymore. And, um, you know, one of the groups that I, I played with for a long time, one of the, the – another another aspect about the hobby is it's a, a lot of father-sons, father-daughters, even mother-daughters, mother-sons, you know, was it whatever, who happens to, to like the hobby, will get into it together. And we had a gentleman who always brought his son to the games, and over the course of a couple of years, his son, who had a horrible time speaking in public – you know, became as open and out there as anyone else would be because he was forced to interact with other people by playing this game, you know, and different, many different people each week. And so I'm a, I'm a huge ass, uh, fan of that, and, and I also like the idea of the college. They're becoming more popular on college campuses these days um, as people are sort of rediscovering the hobby. Um, it did go through a bit of a lull period in 2005 to 2011 or so, um, but it seems to to be picking up now. So, um, Warhammer's looks like it's not the only one that uh, is out there. I mentioned a couple of others: uh, War Machine Hordes, uh, Flames of War. Yeah, War Machine and Hordes is is it depends on who you talk to. It's kind of a considered to be by a couple of people I know a knockoff of, of Warhammer. Um, I don't think it's quite a knockoff of Warhammer because it has a steampunk vibe to it. Um, it certainly doesn't have the level of storytelling, fluff, universe-building, world-building that uh, Warhammer has, but it also hasn't been around as long. You know, Maybe that'll change in another five or six years. Flames of War is actually uh, a World War II... World War One based war game, and it's actually much more like a traditional war game, which, you know, as far back as the 70s would have included knights and dragons, as well as things like the First World War, the Second World War, and things like that. And it strives, it's a different um, scale. The models are a bit smaller. I believe they're 12.5 millimeters. Warhammer starts at 28 millimeters in scale. Um... And so, and they have a lot of different expansions. So they have expansions for the Six-Day War between Israel, Syria, Lebanon, and Jordan. They have expansions for Vietnam, 
at some point, I'm sure World War One will be coming. You know, they've just really started to to get popular here in the last five or five or six years or so. Um, and then Mage Knight, you mentioned, I actually wanted to touch on that because that's actually the very first war game that I ever saw, and uh, it's the it is the the game that birthed the clicks system for people who know Hero Clicks, which is, is still very popular to this day. Mage Knight was the very first one to make use of that system where all the rules, instead of being in a book or on cards, are right on the miniature on a dial that you can turn. And you don't need anything but dice in the miniatures and and a table to play on. Um, And it's no longer made... Actually, it's morphed into a board game in in its its old age, I guess you would say. Um, But, you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting one, and one I remember from when I was probably... 10, 11 years old. So there's, and there's all kinds of, all kinds of links. Uh, you mentioned uh, Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. Their university has uh, history on that. Um, Bell of Lost Souls is their tabletop, tabletop news, and there's all kinds of other stuff like Games Workshop Stores page, Forge World UK. <laughs> so Forge World is um, is interesting, and we, we might want to spend a couple minutes talking about Forge World. So Forge World makes models for Warhammer and Warhammer 40K and uh, the Lord of the Rings miniatures, which is, by the way, I didn't include that, but Games Workshop also does have the rights to produce a miniature battle game based off Lord of the Rings. Um. And the way that they've kind of always been compared is that War- Games Workshop's miniatures are the little $5 light bulbs you go to Walmart and buy when you're in a hurry and you need to put a light bulb in your kitchen. And Forge World light bulbs are the $200 halogen light bulbs that you buy when you're trying to put it in, you know, get lighting in your mansion. Um, Forge World makes some incredible, I mean, absolutely incredible stuff. Uh, I think at least half of it isn't even from, you know, the main game. They actually even produce their own rulebook supplements. And since they're owned by Games Workshop, they're a subsidiary company. Totally fine to do that, you know. And they produce some of the most impressive and most expensive, (laughs) expensive stuff in the game. Uh, Buying from Games Workshop, buying one army, a typical person's going to spend around 400 maybe $600, depending. Some factions require more models than others um, for the bigger, larger games. Um, but you on Forge World, I mean, I can, I'm looking at a couple of minis right now that cost $3,000 just for one thing. Oh. Oh. <laughs> granted, oh. it, granted, it stands about a foot tall uh, to, because it's the scale, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite expensive. <laughs> um but it's you know it's it's really incredible in terms of, of what they've been able to create and and to see people who buy their miniatures and make them even better, it, uh, that that hobby building part has always fascinated me. It has always been one of the main attractions to the game because I have seen people do things with basing, and you know they'll they'll show me examples of like the first miniature they've ever painted and it looks like somebody vomited paint onto a piece of plastic. And then, you know, they'll say, and this is what I did two years later, because you think, you know, it's actually not that hard to learn how to paint them and how to 
it's simple techniques that you learn. If you get uh, if you get an airbrush, it gets even easier. And with just a little bit of practice, it just picks it. So it's not like when people think about painting like uh, Alan Beardstad or Picasso or something like that. It's actually a much more rudimentary style of painting. It's a lot easier for people to pick up, um, which I think is always interesting. Well, so, I, I think the reason why it would probably be easier is because you have a 3D frame of reference rather than painting on a 2D canvas. Right. From, from my experience, from like the art class that I had and from having an artistic background from my parents and stuff like that, I hate painting. I absolutely hate painting. It upsets me because I, I, I'm not good at it. And a lot of artists, if they're, if they're really truly an artist at heart, they're going to get more upset when they screw something up. And you'll find that if you really know some artists, if you know them really well, they're going to get upset and angry. My dad, <laughs> I've seen him have his moments. And then no two artists are going to agree on the same thing, on the execution of what they're working on. And I've seen my mom and dad bicker back and forth over some paintings before, and it's hilarious. <laughs> like, it's horrible. At the same time, it's hilarious. So it's... Well, I mean, in, in 40K, you know, we, we'll even tell people, it, it, we don't even care if you just dump red paint on them. Just make sure when they come, they're painted. I mean, and, and we've seen... I mean, I have seen some of the most bizarre... I have seen pink-based My Little Pony conversions of Space Marines, which, you know, when you think about Space Marines, they're these fearless, you know, angels of death in, in the Imperium. You know, this big power armor and big guns, and they murder everything in the field. You know, motifed up like My Little Pony or Rainbow Bright, you know. Um, I've seen people who have made because they couldn't afford minis, they bought a whole bunch of uh, wholesale bases and then got a bunch of sticky tack from Walmart and made sculptures and then uh, used a hardening agent and stuck them to the base and been like, "This is I'm just using this as a proxy because I can't actually afford to buy anything. You know, and it kind of barely resembles, you know, a, a demon or, a, or an elf or something like that. It, it's just funny. And people will, when you bring that in, too, that what I think is cool is that people will look at it and they'll go, okay, let's play a game. In a lot of other games, people go, you don't have the real thing, then you can't play with us. And I, I really, that's one of the big things about the hobby that I really like is how um, welcoming the community is. Just about every group I've ever gamed with has been way more concerned about having a good time than they are about being competitive. Not to say that there aren't competitive players, there are. But um, it seems like in, in this game specifically, I play Magic the Gathering too, and it's just these days we've talked to competitive. 40K, not so much anymore, which I think is a good thing. I think that's why little kids and, and their fathers and, and moms and so on are able to play it just as much as college students, high school students, and so on. What kind, what kind of paint can be used on these? Um, you know, you want to use acrylics, and um, God, I really don't want to be a games workshop sales rep, because one thing we haven't talked about is that, unfortunately, the game is incredible. The company that makes it is like the biggest pile of crap. I mean, they're worse than Konami. A few years ago, they tried to trademark the, the term Space Marine, 
And the court was like, that's way too generic. You cannot trademark those two words. Yeah, that's a um, You can't trademark a phrase. Right. You know, and so they ended up renaming them to, um, to uh, Adeptus Astartes, which they could trademark, you know, because they, they wanted to make sure they get every dime. And actually, it's so bad with ink. We can do an episode on this someday if you wanted to. But it's so bad in Games Workshop that even the CEO of the company is like, my God, my company is so bad, but I can't do anything to fix it. You know? <laughs> um, and it's because they're publicly traded. They, they went public about 10 years ago, and it has caused them a fair amount of problem. But not to sound like a sales rep for them, but the, the paints that they produce are, are very high quality, just like their models. The one thing I, I give them the credit where the credit is due is that their product is high quality. It always has been. It hasn't changed in 25 years. They always uh, their customer service is actually some of the best I've ever dealt with for anything in my life, especially when trying to get a refund. That was painless and simple. Um, yeah, which is surprising. They could teach the gaming industry a little bit on that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but um, at the same time, you know, I mean, you could just go to Walmart and go back to the the craft aisle and get some of that cheap acrylic paint and paint with that. I mean, so. There's, you know, Vallejo makes paint. I think there's a couple of other. You can, if you just type mini wargaming paint, there are companies that make um, the specific colors. One of the things we could we can mention very briefly is that, um, at least for Space Marines, there are, which is one of the factions, one of the most popular factions in the game, there are hundreds of paint schemes that are pre-built into the game that represent different factions. And they're, these all stem from 20 characters who raised different legions all over the galaxy and each one had a color of their armor that kind of you know went down through the generations. Games Workshop actually for a long time two of the characters uh, we didn't know anything about them or who their legions were and people would go wild with these fan theories about you know background stories and hidden conspiracies and all this stuff until one day Games Workshop they actually came out and they said Look, we, we left two spaces open so that if you didn't want to paint based on something we created, you can make up your own paint scheme and just say, oh, yeah, they're that guy, that legion. That's where they came from. Hmm. And so it was ba actually, it was never done as like some kind of story plot conspiracy or anything like that. It was just simply, you know, a way to give uh, an outlet to, to keep your stuff um, in the canon of the game, even if you decide to paint your Space Marines My Little Pony Pink. And you, you mentioned that Games Workshop is um, publicly traded. Um, they are trading um, on the London Stock Exchange, I'm assuming, yes. at, uh, at nearly 560 British, um, British pounds. Um, yeah. And that's like what in U.S. dollars? I'm trying to... It, it's it's going to be close to a thousand. They're not quite uh, a pound is not quite double two dollars yet. I was yeah. going to say it sounds like it would have been like seventy bucks, but I know that was a low ball. So yeah, I, I think it's, I think one British pound is like a dollar forty, dollar fifty, something like that now. Right. Um, when I went to the UK back in two thousand five, actually went to a Games Workshop store, which was pretty cool. My aunt didn't understand at all, but <laughs> I thought it was cool. Um, you know, the pound was like two U.S. dollars, so it was really expensive. You know, something was seven bucks. It's like, wow, that's fourteen bucks that I'm paying. Uh, 
Um, so basically, in U.S. dollars, they're trading at like eight hundred sixty-one dollars and fifty-nine cents a share. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and and I'm trying to see. Do they? Oh wow, they they have like a nearly four percent dividend gross yield. So. No, no wonder the CEO is like, I can't fix this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of one of the big. I mean, it seems like it's stable, and so the fan. I mean, the, there's been no hint that the company's going to go out of business or downsize or anything for a long time. So fans are like, okay, well, we're just going to keep playing our game. Please don't take it away from us. <laughs> uh, however, on the other side, you do have 25 years worth of models and books. So at this point, I mean. You may, I mean, if something were to happen to the company, you might not ever get new stuff again. But you certainly could. The game could be played for another hundred years, easily, which is pretty cool. They're still coming out with new stuff now. Like every year, they're coming out with a yeah. bunch of new stuff. Yeah. And the only reason I know that was from a buddy of mine. Yeah, seventh edition 40k just launched, and um, in, in terms of Warhammer Fantasy, uh, that which shall not be named, which is Age of Sigmar has just recently launched, and that is where they basically took a giant poop on everything they had built for their fantasy world over the last, like, 20 years. And they had the, there was an apocalypse, and that world was destroyed, and now we have Warhammer on a new world where we can make it look more like 40K, and hopefully it'll sell more. And, <laughs> you know, the fan reaction has been mixed. I mean, people, I you know, I actually have not demoed it, um, Knowing how difficult old Warhammer Fantasy was a very different game from 40K, even though they were based on the same rule set. And so, from what I've heard, the rules are so much better. However, the models um, and and like I said, that that story that people are drawn to this company for doesn't quite exist for fantasy anymore. And so, that for people who really care about that stuff, it's kind of taken a bit of a hit. Um, but, you know, 40K is their number one selling product, and I understand why they want to consolidate and try to get as many people to play their IPs as possible. Uh, about three years ago, Games Workshop had this huge cull. They used to have an entire section of specialist games, uh, things like Blood Bowl, which was Warhammer Fantasy Football, um, with orcs and goblins and chaos demons, and uh, it, was, it was a hell of a lot of fun. They had... Um, Necromunda, which was basically tabletop D&D in the Warhammer universe. They had Battlefleet Gothic, which was, um, you know, Warhammer in as space naval battles between battleships and carriers and things. And uh, after several years of them not selling very well, they ended up just axing the entire line of their specialist games, um, which is kind of unfortunate because, there were, like I said, Blood Bowl has just had a, a, a PS4, Xbox one and PC released just a couple of weeks ago for Blood Bowl 2, the video game, uh, which has done very well. The first one did very well. It's still played on Steam a lot, as far as I know. And, it, you know, that's something else to mention, is actually Games Workshop has ventured into electronic gaming as of recent with their IPs. We've had a number of games come out. Dawn of War was a StarCraft-like RTS 40K. There was uh, one called Mark of... Chaos for Fantasy. Uh, Space Marine was a, 2000, or a 2011 tactical third-person shooter. Um, they've had some, some really just some really good uh, electronic games that have come up over the last seven, eight years. 
too, which is which is pretty cool because it's helped to expand the intellectual property to the gaming market. So, so in order to um, in order to take the company private, you would have to practically be a very rich person. Yeah. Good God. Good God. Yeah. Uh, it would not be cheap. Oh. So, um, so now we don't have as much storyline to draw people in with, which. Well, that's only for fantasy, not for the 40K. That's only for the fantasy version of the game. Oh. So now they're now they're emphasizing 40K, 40K, and more 40K. Right. So, oh man, um, you, you had me at the part where 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 there was this human emperor that's with a rotting carcass. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll I'll post a link for you to go to the wiki page. Uh, the wiki page has a, a condensed history. I read through it the other night just to kind of refamiliarize myself because I was ta been talking with friends about it lately. You can read through it in about forty five minutes. It's probably twenty two twenty five pages, and it'll deal with everything from basically the beginning of of the universe, the history that they've created to the 41st millennium, which is the current. Uh, right now in the game storyline, the current year is 999 of millennium 41. So that that would be read as the year 40,099, 999, excuse me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a really impressive the way that they've tied all these different factions um, into the game and into the gaming history. If you... Pull up Games Workshop's webpage, which I'm going to do right now, just because I have a horrible memory sometimes. 40,000 has a lot of different factions that you can play. Um, I mentioned humanity is seen as one faction, but um, humanity includes the Imperial Guard, which are your basic human soldiers. They gave them a gun. They gave them crappy armor. Uh, the joke in the 40,000 universe, they use what's called a las gun. It's pretty much the shittiest weapon. And we call it the flashlight or the laser pointer. Um, you know. And so the Imperial Guard are basically just the backbone forces that are raised on, on worlds and, and to patrol the galaxy and throw the meat into it. Whereas the Space Marines are genetically enhanced humans. They're much stronger. They have much better technology. They have powered armor. They have bigger ships, better weapons that sort of thing. But, you know, there's um, there's the Eldar, which I mentioned. They're basically space elves. They've been around for like 60 million years. They're highly advanced civilization, although their civilization is dying. Uh, their homeworld was destroyed a long time ago by a very bad event. Um, they're the forces of chaos, which include the, the humans who betrayed the emperor and, and followed his son Horus and what became known as the Horus Heresy, and led to him being wounded and put on the throne. Um, the Necrons are these, they're basically the Borg. They're these ancient um, aliens that gave up their souls to have metal bodies, and um, they are undying, and they want to make everything in the universe dead like them. Uh, the Orcs are the, the most fun, I think, of the factions in terms of just how goofy they are. 
Um, they are warriors. They do everything to fight war. They're stupid. They're very, very stupid. <laughs> and but what's funny about the orcs are they have this. Um, their their special thing is that they are mechanical geniuses. And so when you look at orc models, it's just them piling guns on top of whatever can move. And so they have the most ridiculous contraptions. Um, it, you know, I'll, I'll post some pictures later for you guys to see on the on the Facebook page, but they just have the most ridiculous. It's just, you know, hey, that's okay, John. Throw some more guns on it. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, there's a faction called the Tau, which are, are supposed to, they were, they were created to kind of draw in the anime crowd. They're, they're very light-skinned aliens. They're, they use power armor that's very Gundamish in, in design, and they're a young race in the galaxy that have recently rose to technological prominence, and they, they follow this idea that if the galaxy would just unite under their rule, everything would be fine and dandy. Um, there's a species of extragalactic aliens called the Tyranids, which are basically the uh, kind of a play off the aliens from the movie Alien. They just they show up at a galaxy and they eat everything and incorporate the good genes into their genetic code and all the bad ones they get rid of and they just keep continuously evolving. Um, you know, and then there are some other factions like there's the Dark Eldar who are obviously bad space elves and. Um, uh, cult mechanicus, which are the tech priests of Mars, and things that you know, you can just go nuts with reading about the history and the lore. Um, but that's what's so cool about it is, is that there's just so much of an outlet for creative expression that it, it actually makes it hard to choose one of these factions. I'm trying to get back into the game now. It's been some years since I played, and I'm sitting here three weeks later, and I still haven't bought anything but a couple of rule books because I don't know what faction I want to invest my money in, you know? Um, are there any scenarios involving basically confronting the car rotting carcass of the Emperor? Well, no. Um, so, for example, uh, he's locked away on Earth under the Himalayan mountains in his palace. Uh, there's probably literally about 30 billion soldiers between you and him. Uh, there are fleets of battle cruisers that are bigger than Star Destroyers and Death Stars, uh, millions of them between those soldiers and you. I mean, it just getting to, there's actually a subplot going on right now with a character who's trying to get to the Emperor. There's a group of people in the story that believe that um, the fact that the Emperor is being kept alive by this piece of technology is preventing him from reincarnating which is actually leading to the downfall of humanity. And so there is a character who's trying to get there to basically kill him, to free him, so that he can reincarnate. But the problem is, that you have to understand about the story, is that after he fell and was put on the throne to be kept alive, this piece of technology, a religion sprang up around him. And it's that zealous religion. You know, I mean, people... In, in this universe, humans, you know, believe the Emperor is God, and they're, they're, there's an Inquisition that enforces that, and an entire ecclesiarchy that enforces that belief, because without a common belief, humanity would just fall to infighting. And so there's people who, you know, are, are afraid of, you know, well, what happens if he doesn't reincarnate? Now we don't even have something to unite under anymore. But uh, that time is coming. In lore, the most recent event that has happened is the tech priests of Mars have discovered cracks forming in the Golden Throne, and they don't know how to repair it because so much of that technology has been lost over 10,000 years that he's sit on it. Oh. But 
scenario-wise, I mean, there are tons of... That's one of the other things that's cool about the game is you don't just plop your models down on a table and across from your opponent and just go at it like a team deathmatch. I mean, there's things like take and hold the objective, capture the flag, um, you know, assassinate a specific unit. Objectives can even change mid-game. Uh, you, you, it goes so far as to incorporate rules for fighting at night, which is kind of cool uh, to me, because you don't see that in a lot of other games. You don't see that level of detail. Am I boring you guys? No. Oh, um, really so basically, even even things that let you create your own games like RPG Maker don't even take those kind of factors and throw them in as possibilities. Right. And yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm actually familiar with our... I mean, I know what RPG Maker is, but I've never used it before. But yeah, I mean... the. So, for example, one, one thing that can happen is that you can... Um, Space Marines have something called a drop pod. And so you can hold certain units in reserve, and you can deploy them late in the game. Most games go for five turns. So I get a turn, you get a turn, that's the end of turn one. You, I get a turn, you get a turn, end of turn two, etc. for five turns. After you reach five turns, if it's at a draw, then you roll, and a result of one, two, or three, the game ends as a draw, four, five, or six on a six-sided die, you keep you play another round. And you keep doing that until somebody wins or the dice tell you, okay, just take it as a draw. Um, but, for example, you've got these draw pods. You can hold them in reserve, and, and the idea being to maybe there's a, a special linebreaker troop that you want to bring in halfway through the game when you're losing. Well, when you bring it in, it has a chance to fail and hit somewhere else on the board, to hit off the board, which means you just, if it, you know, I've seen it where people, it's like, my drop pod lands on the floor, so the units basically die. You don't get anything. <laughs> uh, I've seen the drop pod lands on top of other units and crushes them, which is funny when that happens. Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, things, there are rules for that, which to me is, is really incredible. The other thing is is that people would say, well, I've got a tank, and somebody might ask, a new player would ask the question, can I run over those soldiers with my tank? And the answer is yes. There's a rule for that. There's a way we do that. We can handle that. Where in other miniature games that I've played, there aren't rules for that. You know, it's like, no, I mean, yeah, I get it. In real life, if you had a tank and there were two soldiers standing there, you could just run them over and get rid of them. But... Uh, you know, they've really put that thought into it. So it really does increase tactics quite a lot. Well, that's... Uh, um, if, uh, if, if I ever get enough spare time, I may look more into things like Warhammer down the road. Um, Perfect. This is a perfect example of something that has a dedicated following, but you don't hear about very right. often. And yeah, if you suggested it, because this to me feels like next culture. You know what you what you created the next report to be about. Because the part about overlooked pop culture is something like that that's very popular, has a good following. Hell, the company that's publicly traded in London does very well. And yet, there are misconceptions like, well, yeah, it's expensive. You can spend a lot of money, but you don't always have to, um, and everything else. So um, if I were to own a mansion one day and I wanted to 
kill a lot of time. I would probably spend a lot of it on painting, um, basically miniatures and everything else. It's very cathartic, you know. I mean, I've I've had days in the past. Like I said, I haven't been in the hobby for about four years now, five years almost since I came to New Mexico. Um, but I had days when I was still, you know, working a job back in Missouri, going to community college, night school, and things where I'd, it'd be such a shitty day. I'd come home and I'd just like, I'm gonna paint. I'm gonna get some tea. I'm gonna turn on the Adult Swim, and I'm gonna paint for the next hour and calm down. And it would really work for me. I mean, it, you know, after just 20 minutes or so, I'd be really calm. My blood pressure would be down, and I'd be pretty happy and just be painting along and enjoying it, um, which is kind of cool. I mean, I like that aspect of a hobby like that. Well, any ideas for future episodes along these lines? Well, if you guys want to take a break for a couple of weeks and maybe come back and revisit the topic... Um, we could look at um, maybe maybe we could do kind of a, like an imperial history. You know, I I told you there's so much storyline. We could just have a gather around the fire with Uncle Curtis, Grandpa Curtis. <laughs> we'll read the history of the Imperium and discuss it. And I can post some links that way. We can all do some research and discuss maybe something you find interesting. Because I mean, there's a lot of interesting things that they've incorporated. Um, some characters from the game mimic real historical figures. There's a character by the name of Lord Solar Makarian, who is basically the 41st Millennium's um, version of, of Alexander the Great. He conquered a, a thousand worlds for the Imperium, and it was only as his fleet approached the edge of the galactic space that his soldiers wouldn't go any further. They turned around, and he died of a fever. Sound familiar? Yeah. Very familiar, and so they, they have incorporated a lot of, of historical stuff. So I mean, if we want, we could do that if you guys are interested. Um, I like the idea, honestly. I mean, this whole time that I've been listening to you talk about this, it's just making me want to go play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm telling you, you have you have Steam, right, Shaggy? Yeah, I've, unfortunately, I've got so much <laughs> invested. <laughs> if you get some time, or during, I know they'll be on sale during a Steam sale. Uh, Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War is a strategy game. I've seen it. Yeah, you can buy it as a bundle. It's excellent. It's not quite the tabletop version, but it's one of the things that has kept me occupied when I couldn't play the tabletop version. And it'll give you a good you know, view of what kind of what the hobby is like. It's not the same, obviously, as a video game strategy, but um, it's it's good. And, and you know, I think I bought, I bought it on Steam a couple of, of Christmases ago. Because I used to have the CD version, the actual physical version. I bought it on Steam, I think, on sale for like five ninety nine for the game and all three of its expansions. You know, and there's a lot of modding in the modding community for the game still too. So, and same to you, Tommy. I don't know if you have like a Steam capable machine, but I, I recommend the game and I recommend it to the the viewers as well. It's it's a lot of fun. Um. I do have Steam on two of my machines, the one we're doing this on and that yeah. one too. So, And it came out in 2004, so you don't really need any powerful system to run it. You know, It still looks good, but it's, it's dated. I mean, you can tell. Um, but I was also thinking the other day uh, about other um, uh, topics that we could do. And uh, have, you, have we ever done anything literary on this show? Um, the closest thing was 
in the infancy of this show where we talked about uh, 1984, but that was a long time ago. That was before I was on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. That must have been with Stephen Kelly. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I was going to say, if you guys wanted to like look at sci-fi or fantasy novels, Lord of the Rings, you know, I'm always game to talk about Tolkien. We could, yeah, we could definitely do an episode on Tolkien in general. And I mean, the the problem that I, the only problem that I ever had yeah. with picking up one of his books and trying to read it is that it's not that it's bad. His yeah. books are amazing. Okay, yeah. the, the the movies cannot compare to the books at all. And they did an excellent job at the movies. The movies were great. The the movies were on an epic scale, but you cannot touch the epic scale that he had in the books. And right. what I mean by that is that, like, the one book that I picked up that I read a little bit, I didn't have much choice. I had to pick one, and I couldn't find the first one. So I picked up The Two Towers. When I was in high school, I had to do a book review. I don't even remember if I ever finished the book. I don't think I could. <laughs> because you pick it up. And if you've never read Tolkien before, um, you're in for a surprise. If you're a big reader or anything like that, if you like heavy, uh, like a heavy plot and stuff like that, he's got a heavy plot there. But the problem is, you have to get through 15 pages of a description of a blade of grass before you get to the damn plot. Right. He goes into so much detail, and it's good. There's nothing bad about it. I don't have the patience for that. Right. I just don't. But it's no, good. I understand because I had the same problem. I, I read the Fellowship. And I will admit I haven't read the other two, and it took a while to get through the fellowship. Um, you know, kind of like re reading Ray Bradbury. Actually, there's so much descriptive language that it it makes it very difficult. That's why I like Four Hundred Forty Thousand. It's just kill, burn, maim, defeat the em inner enemies of the emperor. It's so simple, you know. <laughs> By comparison, but uh, no, it's yeah. I mean, that was that was an idea I had. If you wanted to look at something like that, or um, if you wanted to do more with war gaming, we could even look at other war games. You know, we could do a whole episode on Mage Knight, which I think was well, uh, an underappreciated game, and we could look at uh, Flames of War because World War Two, like real world war gaming, is kind of its own thing in its own right, which is really neat, and it's starting to become popular again. Um, so, I mean, you know, those are a lot of options for us. Absolutely. Um, I think that wraps this episode up. I'm going to be on vacation all next week, so that'll provide us with some opportunities to get together a little bit more often if, if you also choose, especially since in November, a couple days, you're going to – Shaggy's going to be uh, a mile high up in the air. Well, yeah. the un the unfortunate part is that that same week on November 10th is when Fallout 4 comes out. So yes. I, I'm torn. Well, we should uh, we should do a Fallout 4 like like post launch day episode because I'm I'm getting it launch day. You know, <laughs> I don't have to like burn some sleep, like not yeah. sleep at all, to try and play as much of that. I'm so looking forward to the game because there's so much, there's right. so much stuff coming into it. And right. I don't. Have we actually talked about the game at all? I don't. We've we've mentioned it a couple of times in our gaming episodes. I think when we talked about Grand Theft Auto, 
and then a, a few weeks ago. Um, but I just saw the newest trailer, the Wanderer trailer. Oh, that was epic. <laughs> loved it. Loved it. And I I, loved it. It, was, it, was, it was a perfect song, too. I actually told my professor, I said, on the 11th and 12th of November, I'm sick. <laughs> just, I said, if you don't see me in class, I'm sick. So don't worry about it. Yeah, I figured he's old enough. He doesn't know anything about video games. We'll be good, but we'll see. Unfortunately, I already took the 12th and 13th off. So I can't go for the 11th. I don't think I could try again when yeah. I'm sick. But, but I mean, if you guys are interested, we could do like a like a you know that week or something. We could do a first impressions and discuss what we've seen so far. Try to maybe try to avoid some spoilers or put a spoiler warning in it for viewers. But you know, talk about did we like it? Did we not? Um, I have already pre-ordered it too. Like I told myself, I wasn't going to. It's like the, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. That's the, the fourth game I pre-ordered, I think. I, I can't, I'm sorry. <laughs> the only reason I didn't pre-order it is because Socorro is such a backwater little town that I know they will have a copy of it at Walmart the day I go for it. I <laughs> they still have day one editions of Metal Gear Solid Five. Well, and they actually just came out with a uh, incentive for pre-ordering, too. Just like uh, the, the day I found out, like they came out day four or something like that. You have there's so many different tiers of like something you can win. I mean, like there's t-shirts and stuff that you can get. There's ten thousand opportunities to get a t-shirt, and then the next tier is like you get the t-shirt, and you get um, something else like like a little vault boy, I think. And then the next tier is you get the the season uh, season pass for free. And uh, all the way up to the grand prize is getting being able to go get a trip to go to Boston. Uh, I think you get to go to Bethesda's offices and stuff, and then you get to tour Boston and all kinds of stuff like that. So if I win it, that'd be awesome. But I don't think I'll win that. <laughs> By the way, that's an orc unit, just for you to see. <laughs> that's awesome. That's called a killican. It kills things. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's great. Notice that. Which machine are you on right now? Just your regular computer, or? Yeah, this is my HP Walmart brand desktop that I bought a couple of years ago, just for a, a home, you know, desktop to watch YouTube videos on while I game or something like that. Okay. Yeah, it's like, wait, that doesn't look like OS ten. No, no, no. This is a. It's just a an HP nineteen, eighteen or nineteen inch uh, all in one that I bought at Walmart for like four hundred bucks. All right. Well, that about wraps the episode up. And very, very productive episode. Um, I'm gonna have to find out more about this emperor person. Oh yes, I'll send you. I'll put some links on our uh, on our Facebook our uh, next report Facebook page with some information you guys are interested. Well, I'll entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. um, And we'll see you next time. Peace.